0: Back to more John Chuckery. No, no. No, I'm having a good time. Having a good time. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It's time to talk all things Dirty Birds. It's Falcon's Flyover. (laughs) With John Chuckery on Sports
1: Radio 92.9 The Game. Back with you in the Kia studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. John Chuckery Show. Live here on this Tuesday evening, 404-741-0929. That's the Solomon Brothers Diamond Text Line to be a part of the show. Honestly, absolutely. You Catch Us on the Go. Social media is at 929 the game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm at JMSH316. He is at underscore Dylan Matthews. This is your nightly look at all things Atlanta Falcons. It is the Falcons flyover. So Jerry Gray has been hired to be the assistant head coach and defensive backs coach for the Atlanta Falcons. Now, Arthur Smith and Jerry Gray worked together. They worked together back in 07 and 08 for the Redskins. Um, They spent some time there. Gray has obviously been a defensive coordinator. Uh, He uh, was a DC for the Titans. Uh, They were a pretty good defense during his time there, one of the better scoring defenses. Last few years or last couple years, he's been a uh, defensive backs coach in the NFL with Green Bay and with Minnesota. So, it's interesting that he's also got the assistant head coach title. So, if Arthur gets sick, then Jerry's most likely going to run the team uh, that day. So, interesting. Um, So, that's a good compliment to Ryan Nielsen. You know, a guy who's been a D.C., Because let's face it, and I said this about Ryan Nielsen, I don't really have a problem with Ryan Nielsen. I just didn't like the fact that he's not been a DC and he's not called plays. And so a guy like Jerry Gray, you know, has a lot of experience, can, you know, lend his hand into, you know, getting everything, you know, figured out and and straightened out. So uh, I think that's a good hire. So, uh, and Jerry Gray was actually a pretty good player uh, as well, but, um, He's going to be the assistant head coach and defensive backs coach, and uh, he'll work right with, uh, right with uh, Ryan Nielsen uh, out there. Now, I, I've seen this written a whole bunch, that should the Falcons, because they've hired Ryan Nielsen and he has a relationship with this player, should the Falcons pursue Marcus Davenport in free agency to help their pass rush out? Okay. You know what I say to that? I say to that, that's what I say about it. How, how about that? Here, here we go. Let's record this, Dylan. Ready? Here we go. Do I want Marcus Davenport? Uh, Davenport, his last three story years. With
2: that's made the
1: last- yeah, Davenport, his last three years uh, in the NFL, has had... Um, he's had... <laughs> He's had nine he's had he's had a nine sack season in the NFL last year. This year he had half a sack and in 2020 he had a sack and a half. Now, it's not like he didn't play. He played 11 games in 2020, 11 games with nine starts in 2021. And he had 15 games with nine starts this year. And he managed half a sack more than me and Stephen Means. So he only beat Stephen Means and I combined for half a sack. So if we're going back in time and replaying my thoughts about pursuing Marcus Davenport because of the relationship he has with Ryan Nielsen... Yeah. That's what I say about that. Do I want Marcus Davenport? Yes. It's exactly right. We'll keep we'll keep that handy cuz every time his name comes up. Sorry, but I mean, yeah. I mean, has he been a bust? He's got 21 and a half sacks in 5 years, right? Remember they traded up to go get him? Um, he was out of Texas, San Antonio. He was the 14th overall pick. I mean, can I get Cam Jordan? Can, can I get you know former guy that played for uh, you know Ryan Nielsen, Trey Hendrickson? Can I get yeah? Can I get those guys? Can, can I get can I get one of those guys? Marcus Davenport. So anyway, yeah. So anyway, no, I don't want Marcus Davenport. So, our guy uh, for the Falcoholic, Kevin Knight, um, he's got his mock draft for the Falcons. And he's got, with the eighth pick of the draft, he's got Paris Johnson, the offensive tackle out of Ohio State. He's got Nolan Smith as his second-round pick. And he's got cornerback Garrett Williams out of Syracuse as his third-round pick And without going through all of the other picks and things like that um you know look if I could have Paris Johnson and Nolan Smith I'd be absolutely fine with that so we can put Kevin Knight in the good category we can put him in the in the good in the good column for everything so I'm I would I would be fine with Paris Johnson and I'd be fine with Nolan Smith yeah he's coming off the injury but I I I have this sneaking suspicion that Nolan Smith is going to be a better pro player than he was a collegiate player. I thought Nolan Smith would have a real breakout year this year, but he really didn't. And obviously the injury derailed all of that, but I like Nolan Smith. I talked to him, he was sitting right beside me at SEC Media Days, had a chance to talk to him. Good kid. Uh I would be happy if the Falcons drafted him. If I could have an if I could have a offensive lineman and a defensive edge player in my first two picks, sign me up all day. Sign me up all day. Now, here's the other thing, too, about the Falcons in this offseason. So we know now with the, with the cap set that the Falcons are going to have the second most free agency money to spend. Now, it's a dollar or two less than the $100 million that Freaky keeps talking about. It's going to be $56 million as of right now. John the Freaky? Yeah, him. Yeah, on the morning show, you know, 100 million hundred million, hundred million. John people. Freaky? Yes, him. Hundred million. Hundred the the hundred million man. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. So anyway, they're gonna have fifty six million. That could get up to another twelve million with um Marcus Mariota when he gets released and things like that. But this money's gonna go very quickly. You know, a Lindstrom extension, filling out the roster with, you know, if it's Rashawn Evans or Isaiah Oliver or whoever, you know, filling out your roster. Uh, Obviously, you got to add a quarterback. So I I really do think, and and we talked to Tory McElhaney last Friday, I think they're going to get one to maybe two, you know, high-level free agent players in this cycle. And, look, I don't – I can't even think about the last time that we had two – I mean, 2016, we got Alex Mack, who was a top flight center, and and paid a good price for him. I don't know when we've gotten two guys that were kind of high-dollar guys, but by the time you fill out your roster, you extend some of your existing players, you sign a quarterback that I think will try to compete with Desmond Ritter – that cap space is going to get eaten up pretty quickly, and you know it's it's a you know what, what would you say, Dylan? It's a buck or two less than the hundred million dollars that you know Freaky's been spouting off for the last few months. You know, fifty-six million. You know, it's they're one and the same. Right? Yeah, I'm Freaky. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 pretty close to one another, right? Yeah, hundred million, fifty-six million. It's it's nickel and diamond. You know everything, but still, that money will get eaten up pretty quickly. So it's not like the Falcons are going to go in and build this whole new roster, right? I mean, you got to have all these players that fill in the gaps of what your roster is. Your special teams players, you know, backup guys, depth guys, whatever. And again, you're going you're gonna to need to get a quarterback because. Even if you don't draft a quarterback, and, you know, I wouldn't mind that the Falcons draft a quarterback, but you got to sign somebody to be Desmond Ritter's backup, and that's going to be a veteran. Now, I think it's a veteran that would have the ability to compete with Desmond Ritter for the starting job, but you still need probably a veteran quarterback. Even if it's some vagabond, you know, Chase Daniel or whatever we saw, some of those names or you know Mitch Trubisky. Even if it's some vagabond, you want to have a guy like that in place. Like I said, I, I would like Jacoby Brissett. I wouldn't mind if they if they sign Jacoby Brissett and then take either a Handon Hooker or a Jake Hayner on day three of the draft and and round out their quarterback room. And then maybe stash, you know, Hooker or Hainer. You know, somebody uh, stashed them on the practice squad, and then you'd have your competent backup, and then you have your you know second-year guy, and you're ready to roll. But it's it the dollars are going to go quickly, and, and again, when you get into free agency, you know you're paying for production in the past, not a future predictor of what the player is going to be. You know, we were all hyped about being able to go get Dante Fowler and all that, and then his production was... <laughs> that was his production. Dylan, what was his production like when he signed that contract? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the dollars will get eaten up pretty quickly. And, and I, think, I think that... Um Fowler signed a 56 million dollar deal. And yes, you can rig contracts and all that that kind of stuff, but it's still going to go very very quickly. Like that money won't last and you know, they'll do some creative financing, you you know, look, the Saints have done creative financing for a decade now, right? And and, and they just signed, you know, they didn't have a single dollar to spend and they signed Honey Badger and Jarvis Landry last year, right? Didn't have two nickels to rub together. Like, they were going on the street with a tin cup and sunglasses on, you know, soliciting donations, and they signed Honey Badger and Jarvis Landry. So you can do a lot of creative things, but I think that they're going to try to identify one or two guys that are high level, and certainly I would would really hope that it's, you know, an interior or, you know, interior defensive lineman or an edge type of player you know the edge class isn't as good this year but you know if it is a Javon Hargrave or a a Deron Payne or one of those kinds of guys I'll be more than satisfied with uh, all of that and then go draft some guys so but that roster money will, will find itself spent very very quickly. All right, when we get back, we'll uh, talk to our buddy from the Atlanta Hawks covering them for Sports Illustrated. Pat Benson will join us. Chuck Rea in the Kia Studios, Sports Radio 929 The Game, Odyssey.com app. 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It is a John Chuckery show live in this Tuesday evening as uh, Hawks dropped one last night. The first of this five-game road trip in Portland. Obviously a very important road trip, uh, you know, trying to at least get a couple of wins out of this, but they dropped the uh, first one. So lots to talk about with the Atlanta Hawks. Let's head out to the WadeFord.com hotline. Atlanta's Ford dealer. Let's talk to our buddy, Pat Benson, covers the Atlanta Hawks for Sports Illustrated. SI.com is where you can check out all of his work, and you can follow him on Twitter at Pat underscore Benson underscore Junior. And Pat, as always, buddy, appreciate it, man. Thanks for a few minutes tonight.
2: Hey, John, thank you so much for having me. So we know that this
1: is an important stretch on this road trip, but I'll ask you the question this way. How much could this road trip influence what they do at the trade deadline as I believe when they get back, the deadline is only two days away. How influential if this thing tanks or if they do well, could that influence the deadline acquisitions that they make?
2: Oh, it's a pivotal stretch of the season. It's going to have major postseason ramifications. And of course, as you alluded to, it's going to have a big effect on what they do with the trade deadline. They get back on February eighth, two days before the trade deadline. And um, yeah, if they, if they really don't perform well, then I think that will make it a lot easier for Landry Fields to pull the trigger and make some deals. If for some reason they uh, surf, you know exceed ex- expectations, then it may give them some reluctance to um, to move some players around. So it's a it's a crucial stretch of the schedule, no doubt.
1: So Pat, when we when we look at this you know deadline that's coming up, you know I do think that they will move on from Bogey, and if for no other reason, just the idea that he's got that player option that's lingering out there that would be for 18 million. So I don't know that they want to back themselves in a corner and get stuck with that. And the other thing that we're hearing is, you know, whether it's you know John Collins' contract or you know the teams are looking for a big mm-hmm. haul, you know, if it's if it's not one of those two guys, who else could be potentially on the move? Is there anybody else that you look at and say that they could be on the move or is it really bogey and Collins is just kind of the make or break pieces in a deadline deal.
2: It could be some surprising guys on like the periphery, maybe guys that of the bench as part of like contract filler. But honestly, the big move I expect is I think this will finally be the time that Atlanta trades John Collins. We're celebrating the three-year anniversary of him being in trade rumors. And I think, um, fans and media place players. I think everybody's grown numb to the unrelenting trade rumors, but this really is going to be the time that happens. I've been hearing for months that uh, it's going to happen this year at the trade deadline. You mentioned uh bogey. That's going to happen this summer. The summer it's either going to be Bogdanovich or it's going to be Clint Capella. But uh, here in the next week or so, I'm very confident John Collins finally gets traded and uh, you know, it's, it, like you, I think um, he he performs pretty well. I don't think his contract's all that bad. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know what Atlanta's going to be able to get in return that's going to be a better fit, but they are dead set on moving him at the trade deadline. That's going to happen.
1: Pat Benson covering the Atlanta Hawks for SI.com, joining us here on the Wadeford.com hotline. How would you describe um, – DeAndre Hunter's season. How how would you put it uh, with what he's done this year?
2: The same way I'd sum up his entire career, up and down. Uh, I think we've, we've given up on the baby Kawhi comparisons. That's just not ever going to going to happen or ever pan out. He's a solid starter in the NBA. He's a two-way player, which luckily for him, he's in the air of two-way players. They've never, you know, a big uh, physical defensive wings have never been more important. So that's great for DeAndre Hunter. But fans just need to give up on the idea of him being some sort of superstar. That's not going to happen. He's too streaky. He's uh, kind of has tunnel vision when he has the ball. And solid defender, which is great. He's valuable to Atlanta. They, they definitely need him. But honestly, he's a fourth or fifth option on a, on a team that would consider itself contenders.
1: You know, it was interesting. I was looking at some numbers earlier today, and DeAndre Hunter's defensive rating among the Hawks is ninth mm-hmm. uh, of anybody mm-hmm. that plays any significant minutes. Uh, the only guy yeah. who is behind DeAndre Hunter is Trey Young. Um, and, and wow. it was and it was interesting to to look those numbers up. Look, I I'll say it like this, and, and this may not be fair, okay? But mm-hmm. you know, it's starting to feel like yeah, there's a lot of potential for DeAndre Hunter, but it's not coming to fruition. And at the end of the day, he's a fifteen-five guy that plays good mm. but not great defense. That's Kent Bazemore. I mean that that's that's what this is kind of becoming, and I don't want to say it that way, but the reality is is that this is what this is kind of turning into.
2: Yeah, the only thing I would push back a little bit on is that he does have he does have to pick up the toughest defensive assignment just about every game, so that could potentially impact the numbers. But I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, the numbers aren't great. He and I just go back to what I said. He's just a solid starter in the NBA, which is great for him, and uh, he's going to have a long, solid career. But yeah, I mean, he, he's he's a role player, and and that's what it is at this point in his career. And he's one month younger than John Collins. I think because John Collins carries himself with this. Um, Veteran sort of mentality. And whereas DeAndre is more reserved, um, maybe that has something to do with it. And people forget that they're basically the same age and players don't make huge leaps after their fourth or fifth year in the league. And that's where DeAndre Hunter's at. He is who he is at this point.
1: And it's interesting because, you know, we kind of, you know, fans fuss about the contract that John Collins got, but DeAndre Hunter is a $20 million player next year. And in three years, he's a $25 million player. And, you know, when we talk about Collins and his contract and it's an albatross and all that, well, Mm -hmm. are are we running into the same situation with DeAndre Hunter where, you know, in two to three years, is his contract going to be an albatross? I mean, I, I just, you know, this team has spent a lot of money and they're really straddling that. Luxury tax line with being 1.9 million dollars away. But there just doesn't seem to be the return for the money that's being spent. And I I don't know. I mean, I just when I hear about Collins being traded, I think part of it's the contract. But are we going to be in that same boat in with DeAndre Hunter in two or three Mm -hmm. years?
2: Well, that's, it's fair to feel that way, no doubt about it. The, the only reason I'm not hitting the panic button yet is in the next couple of years, the salary cap will go up with a new TV deal. So that is the good news. So I, I think his um, contract won't look as bad. And, you know, we're, we're starting to hear more about John Collins. His contract, John Collins' contract isn't that bad when you look at his production. Uh, I was listening to a national broadcast the other night, and they said, who are you going to get for these numbers? And that's just kind of par for the course. And um, it's just impossible at the end of the day to build a championship contender without going into the luxury tax. You're just fighting with one hand tied behind your back. So uh, that really that that's where I'm at with that. I don't think those numbers are outrageous. I don't think they're overpaid. I just think it's par for the course in the NBA.
1: What is it about John Collins that he's regressed? He's having his lowest Scoring average yeah. since his rookie year. It's 13 and a half points per game. Yeah. His, his rebounding is about the same, but his three point mm-hmm. shooting is dreadful. Uh, but he's taken yeah. the same amount for his career. His field goal percentage is the lowest it's been in four years. Why has there been this regression? He, when we think about the idea that it's Trey and it's De- DeJounte and they were mm-hmm. going to facilitate him more, why has there been this regress for him?
2: I don't know. It's been a miserable shooting slump. And it's beyond a slump at this point in the season. The uh, the sample size is too big to call it a slump. I don't know what's going on with this shot. It's not his finger because he started off the season shooting pretty well. But it just like you said, it's just regressed shooting the ball. It could be a the secondary ball handler being on the court. De, uh, DeJounte Murray may take the ball out of stands a little bit more. and John just isn't a spot-up shooter. That's just not what his game is. And at this point, you know, I don't know. That that one's on Kyle Korver. He's going to have to get in the gym and work with um, work, with John Collins on his shot because I'm not sure what's going on with his outside shooting. The teams are leaving him open at this point.
1: So I'll ask you the same question that I ask all of our analysts. Has DeJounte Murray been the MVP of this ball club this year?
2: No, I would say it's been Clint Capella. Uh, he's missed a lot of games, but when he's been on the court, uh, I don't know if any players had a bigger impact. Um, obviously, defensively, and uh, he's just had a, a a motor. He looks like himself from two years ago where he led the league in rebounding. Obviously, the, stat, the stats aren't quite the same, but, yeah, I'm going to zag here, and I'm going to say it's been Clint Capella. Uh, DeJounte Murray, uh, his numbers have been close to what he – Put up last year in San Antonio. Obviously, they're going to go down just a little bit because he's sharing the backcourt with Trey Young so much. But I'm going to say Clint Capello has been the most valuable player.
1: Pat Benson joining us on the waitforward.com hotline, Hawks reporter for SI.com. Uh, so it, we talked about the luxury tax. And, you know, Tony Russell always said, you know, the, the, the quote was when everybody read the full quote was, oh, we've got no issue with going into the luxury tax if mm-hmm. it makes sense. And right mm-hmm. now, this franchise has just not felt like it's made sense. Uh, you know, if Nate McMillan leaves, and if they do trade Bogey, they do trade a John Collins. You mm-hmm. know, where are we at? I mean, where? Where? I mean, we were supposed to be in the top four of the East this year. I don't want to say it's a reset because you got Trey Young, but it's you know it could look a lot different in you know, six months from now when, you know, this this whole thing just kind of has a, a, a drastic shift to it about roster, coach, everything else to it?
2: Yeah, that, if it makes sense part, is an important qualifier. That's an important addendum that I think a lot of people overlooked. And um, right now it doesn't make sense. We, uh, Atlanta has the same record through 51 games this year as they did last year, 25 and 26, And even worse, their advanced metrics are all worse. Last year, they had the second-best offensive rating. This year, they're 14th. About Just a little bit of improvement on defense. And so, yeah, right now, they do not look like a contender. Now, the good news is the the East is still pretty open. Optimistically, they could go into this trade deadline. They could add some outside shooting, maybe a couple two-way players. Trey plays better and they get themselves a playoff spot and they're able to avoid the play-in. So that's the optimistic uh, view. The pessimistic is they trade John Collins to shirk the luxury tax. They limp into the playing tournament and just get ready for the 15th overall draft pick this summer and a new coaching search. So, again, goes back to the start of our conversation. It's the most crucial week of the season, perhaps the most crucial week. Since the start of the rebuild, I mean, the franchise can go in one or two directions over the next oh nine or ten days.
1: You can check out all of his work at SI.com. He covers the Atlanta Hawks for Sports Illustrated, and he's on Twitter at Pat underscore Benson underscore Junior. Pat joined us here on the waitford.com hotline. Pat, as always, buddy, appreciate it, man. Good conversation, and um, we'll be checking in with you again here as we move along in the season.
2: Thanks, John. Keep up the great work. You got it.
1: John Chuckery here. We'll be back. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey.com app. Back to more John Chuckery. No,
0: no. No, I'm having a good time. Having a good time. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
1: Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Back out on the John Chuckra Show. He studios on this Tuesday evening. 404-741-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app's how you catch us on the go. Social media, on The Game. At JMSH316. He is at underscore Dylan Matthews. Uh, we will have Rankham coming up at 1040. It is a Tuesday night, so... Uh, we will do a ranking before we get out of here. Um, also, too, quick thing uh, before we get to we'll get to Westbug and Chuckry here in just a, a couple few minutes. But um, you see, where Tom Hart is the leader in the clubhouse for the Braves play-by-play job on TV. So Tom Hart's been with ESPN for a long time. He's doing some of their baseball coverage now, and he's obviously done a lot of college football and college basketball and things like that. Um, I'm not as familiar with his work, but he's an Atlanta guy. Um, so, you know, the, I saw where it was at Mark Bowman uh, put out a tweet that said that Tom, Tom was the leader in the clubhouse and Dave O'Brien, I think did this too, but they didn't, they didn't, they said that they didn't know who the other two candidates were because it's basically come down, I guess, three candidates. And they said that they didn't know Now, what they did say is Ben Ingram is going to stay in radio. He prefers to be in radio and and do the radio broadcast, so he's going to stay in that role. So it will not be Ben Ingram. Okay, so if you're asking or wondering, it won't be Ben Ingram. He's taking himself out of the mix. But Tom Hart was the only name mentioned. Um, you know, for this job, they didn't announce. They they didn't have any information whether it's Dave O'Brien. Mark Bowman, whatever, about the other two candidates for all of this. And again, uh, Tom Hart's an Atlanta guy, uh, been on ESPN and all that stuff. So, uh, I'm sure they'll find somebody good. I mean, obviously it's a it's a very good gig to have and, you know, obviously for a very successful franchise. So, you know, you're you're in a pretty good spot if you're if you're getting that uh, that kind of job. You know, if you you know, there there'll be uh probably a lot of good candidates that um you know, have applied for all of that. But certainly it won't be the same, you know, without Chip. Um Did such a great job, you know, here. And obviously the legacy, you know, with his dad Skip and all that. So, um, but, you know, he's going home. You know, he's going home to St. Louis. And, um, you know, his grandfather was a broadcaster there. His father was a broadcaster there. So, uh going home. And obviously it's one of the, you know, premier organizations in all of Major League Baseball, right? I mean, from a historical perspective and just the quality of the organization you know it's not own I don't even know who owns the St. Louis Cardinals anymore it's not the Augie Bush family I don't believe I don't believe it's the it's Augie Bush and and their family which is the family that owned Bush beer and all that Anheuser-Busch company it isn't them anymore but uh, it's certainly one of the great organizations in all of Major League Baseball and the Bill History.
0: DeWitt, sorry, Bill DeWitt mm-hmm. Jr., mm-hmm. principal, okay. owner, and president.
1: Does it say where he's from? Let me see where he is. I'll, have to, I'll get back to you. Because it's been a long time since I think the Augie Bush family owned um, the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, been, been a long time since they've had the ownership rights to all of that. So, um, But that's that's a great job, and, um, you know, we'll see what happens here. Uh, we'll see what uh who gets that uh, that gig. So, you know, obviously, you know, Paul Bird and Brian Jordan and Jeff Rancour and all those guys will be back for another season of it, but um certainly uh certainly going to be different. Uh did you find out? I'm just curious where where he where what he's the owner of. Still looking here. I got the I'm still are I'm you still using, looking are you using Google and did you put Bill DeWitt in I did the, the search browser and I, it probably would pop something up cuz he's probably is, a billionaire, you know, exponentially and he is, but everything is saying about the
0: Cardinals it doesn't say like what he owns or like what else he does or how he made his money. Exactly. Okay.
1: All right. Well, one day, uh, maybe by Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, <laughs> we'll we'll get all that information. So, anyway, All right, let's, uh, before we get any deeper into this, let's uh, get to a What's bugging Chuckery. Don't look now, but somebody out there just got Chuckery
0: ticked off. (laughs) Like, that's hard. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. It's time for What's Buggin' Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9, The
1: Game. So the Panthers owner was making a comment. You know, obviously the Panthers hired Frank Reich. And obviously, they had a chance to hire Steve Wilkes, which would have been one of the very few minority hires in the NFL. And anytime a guy has to explain this part of it, because I really thought Steve Wilkes did a good job with Carolina, and I think that he was, you know, the best fit for that job. Obviously, the players rallied around him and, you know, whatever it was, but, you know, and... They were certainly, you know, hand-strung at quarterback, whether it was Baker Mayfield or P.J. Walker or whatever vagabond they had there. And they traded their best player in Christian McCaffrey, right? Traded arguably their best offensive piece. So when you factored all of that in, you know, they were in the playoff hunt. And, look, I don't care what the division is and what it was and all this, that, and the other. They were still in the hunt for the playoffs and the division, you know, uh, up until late in the season. But <laughs> David Tepper had a quote uh, when he was talking about, um, when he was talking about, you know, the, the state of the franchise and, and trying to break up the network. Quote, we have probably the most diverse executive team in the NFL right now. We pro- we are probably a minority of white men On our executive team right now, that's where it starts. That's America. (laughs) How do you break that old boys network? How do you break that process? You break the process by trying to get the best people possible in every role you can do, whether it's a new general counsel we hired who happens to be an African-American woman, whether it happens to be Frank Reich, who's a Caucasian male. So they hired the white guy retread, right? (laughs) But he's got the most diverse, you know, executive team. I mean, he said that uh, they, they said Tepper pointed to his executive team that includes his wife, Nicole, Chief Administrative Officer Christy Coleman, Chief Administrative Officer Keisha Smith, a black woman who's a senior vice president that oversees human resources, and Tanya Taylor, who's a general counsel, who's also a black woman. And for all of that, he hired the white guy retread coach instead of hiring Steve Wilks. Now, they say here that the decision to hire Reich was based upon offensive background, um, and they said seven of the nine candidates had an offensive background, and all but Jim Caldwell were white guys. <laughs> so, And then it says... The two defensive minded coaches that they that they could have hired were both black guys. So they, they 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 went with the white guy retread. Okay. Um every year we get these NFL meetings, and every year they put some new rules in to benefit the offense every single year, and it's never going to end. It's never going to end. And the reason it is scoring brings eyeballs. That's what the league is about getting eyeballs to watch the thing. And so I can tell you again, the new rules will be offensive-minded rules, so you have to challenge that first. So you couldn't have hired a really good offensive coordinator? I mean, you know, like we were in an era of offensive rules benefiting everybody. We had a defensive-minded coach with an outstanding OC, and all we did was go to the Super Bowl. Okay. All right. But they hired the retread white guy. Yeah, exactly. Um they said Reich Reich is the first offensive minded coach hired in team history. What about just hiring the best guy? Like what about what about just hiring the best guy for your situation? You know, you you had you had the players rally around Steve Wilkes. And and even Tepper said that. Well, if he did a really good job, then then we would hire him. Well, what did he not do? And, and did, wasn't Frank Wright just a failure, like, very recently here in Baltimore? Like, didn't he get fired because – hold on. Didn't he get fired because the Colts' offense was so dreadful? Jonathan Taylor didn't play well. Their offensive line didn't play well. Matt Ryan didn't play well. Didn't he get fired because they were a lousy offense? And now he went back and hired Frank Reich because he's an offensive-minded coach. What do we think about that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know? (laughs) I mean, you know, these owners really overthink all of this stuff, right? And look, they can hire whoever they want. Right? They, they've got all the billions of dollars. They can hire whoever they want. But why don't you just go get the best guy and the guy who was with your organization and he turned the season around and he made them relevant. And, yeah, he did it with stinky quarterback play. Like, what's Frank Wright going to do? Like, is he going to play quarterback? Because if it's P.J. Walker, P.J. Tucker, B.J. and the Bear – I mean if uh, no matter what if it's one of those guys you're going to be back in the same boat. He had a better quarterback in Matt Ryan and and their offense was a disaster. They didn't run the football well. They had a top-flight running back, a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, a really good offensive line and they didn't take advantage of any of it. But again, they hired their offensive minded guy or whatever. So um <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Pepper never addressed whether defensive minded Wilkes had a legitimate shot at the job because of the direction of the search. Wilkes led Carolina to a six and six record after Matt Rule had him at one and four. Okay. I I mean, just hire the best guy. You know, six and six is still six and six in the NFL. And with that ragtag bunch that traded away McCaffrey, that was working with Baker Mayfield, right? That had P.J. Walker, P.J. Tucker, B.J. and the Bear, right? Whatever quarterback. All these, all these guys that you know couldn't play quarterback. They weren't a very talented roster, and he got them to six and six. And that wasn't the guy who. Got the job. Okay. Uh, th- that's what's bugging Chuckery. Anyway, all right, rank them coming up at 1040. So get your list in early on and uh, on our text line at 404741-0929 and then on uh, my Twitter page at JMCH316. We'll put those uh, in action. By the way, real quick, Chuck.
0: Yeah. I found our answer about Bill Dewitt. Okay, so he founded the investment firm Reynolds Dewitt and Company. Okay, the firm owns sixty-three Arby's franchises, whose value has been estimated at fifty point four million. Mm-hmm. And he is also an investor in Cincinnati-based U.S. Playing Card Company, with an estimated value of about one hundred and twenty million.
1: Okay, all right. Well, he's got money. I'm sure he's probably worth billions, uh, you know, for it. So, anyway, we'll uh, we'll see what happens here in Atlanta with, uh, with our announced team. All right, when we come back, Jim Nagy sounds kind of bitter. He's the director of the Senior Bowl. We'll have that story up next. Chuck Green, the Kia Studios, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, Odyssey.com app.